Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Delana Krieger should not be forgotten. Although her murder was brutal, one of the worst in Wilmington's history, and was called a hate crime partly because of her sexuality, it brought about positive change to Wilmington, North Carolina, and the community surrounding it. At the time, there wasn't too much in the news about her murder or about Talana, as her friends were told not to mourn too publicly for her because she was gay and shouldn't be in the news. Let's rectify that. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime. Welcome aboard. As always, just a quick heads up that I podcast from my home, which happens to be a boat, so you'll hear boat noises in the background. I hope you'll think of them as a little gift for me to you, as I find them peaceful, and I hope you do too. Today's case starts in Wilmington, North Carolina, which I have read is one of the most haunted cities in the South. One ghostly tale tells of a pub owner who serviced sailors upon their arrival in port. She ruled her pub with an iron fist, and when a patron would get out of hand, she would hop over the bar and beat the unruly fool half to death before biting off an appendage, which she would then spit into a pickling jar she kept on top of the bar. Can you imagine running into her ghostly spirit when visiting the city? This episode begins in a different Wilmington bar, on the evening of February 21st, 1990. A long-haul truck driver felt a little thirsty and decided to stop at the Parkview Grill, which was a bar in Wilmington. It's now called the Dubliner, but I will refer to it by the name it had when the case took place. He sidled up to the bar and took a seat. He quickly ordered a drink and sat quietly while listening to a couple women who were next to him discussing remodeling plans for the bar. The women's names were Wanda Whitley and Talana Krieger. Talana was an excellent carpenter and worked for a company called Laney Builders, but she, like many carpenters, occasionally would do a job on the side. Talana spent some of her free time at the bar and was happy to offer her help. Wanda, the bar owner, liked Talana and knew she would do a great job with the remodel. The Parkview Grill was a Wilmington institution through much of the 1980s. It was in a great location near the intersection of several streets and wasn't far from Greenfield Lake. The bar attracted truckers, like Ron Thomas, the man at the bar, and workers from the nearby state port, but it predominantly had the reputation as a place where lesbians could meet and relax without being hassled. Women drove from Brunswick and Columbus counties just to hang out there. The bar was said to be ahead of its time because it was quite openly gay. There were other gay bars in the area, like David's or Mickey Rat's, but these were secluded places with alleyway entrances that were hard to find unless you knew where to look. The park view was out there and right on the main thoroughfare. Wanda's roommate, Heidi Crossley, sat two seats away from the big burly truck driver. He found himself to be interested in the women's carpentry plans and inserted himself into the conversation. Talana accepted this intrusion easily. 
partly because she was surrounded by her friends in a place she felt safe in, but also because she was very friendly and outgoing. She was an animal lover who kept goats, chickens, three dogs, and five cats on her two-and-a-half-acre farm just outside Hampstead. It was said that she was so tender-hearted that she wouldn't even kill small spiders that she happened to find while working. She would instead scoop them up and take them outside. Talana's 32 years of life hadn't been easy. Her parents had lived in Jacksonville, but both had died while she was fairly young. This left Talana alone, as she had no other family. She was generous and giving and would often do free carpentry jobs for her friends. Friends of Shucker Ronald Thomas also described him as likable and easygoing. One of his former supervisors described him as a big teddy bear. Behind that image, however, lay a troubled past. Thomas's parents had split up when he was little, and his mother had left him with his father, who was an Alabama minister. As an adult, Thomas had a pretty serious problem with alcohol dependency. He also had a problem with women. At least that's what one would assume after three divorces. Regardless of their respective pasts, the evening began to progress nicely. Conversation was flowing freely, and all four were getting along well. At some point in the evening, Thomas and Heidi went to the back room to shoot pool. Later in the evening, Wanda and Talana made their way to the back room, too. Talk turned to Thomas's truck, which Wanda and Talana wanted to take a closer look at. Thomas gladly offered up his keys, and the two women went out to inspect the interior. When the bar finally closed that evening, Talana, Heidi, and Thomas made their way out of the bar. As they were walking out, they discussed going somewhere to get something to eat. Wanda suggested that they meet at a Hardee's on Carolina Beach Road, which was less than two miles away. At 1.30 in the morning, they started making their way to Hardee's to get some grub. Who doesn't like to chow down in the early morning after a night of drinking? Retfest, if you will. Talana, who was still very interested in the truck, asked Thomas if she could ride with him because she'd never ridden in a tractor-trailer before. She, Thomas, and Heidi left at the same time, but Heidi made a quick trip to her house before going to Hardy's. When she finally arrived at the Hardy's, expecting Thomas and Talana to be there, she was surprised that she couldn't find them. She went home and went to sleep rather than stopping to eat. Wanda had a couple things to do to close the bar before she left, so she left about 15 minutes after the others. And by the time she got to the Hardys, she too saw no one was there. She began looking around for the truck that Thomas had been driving, but she saw nothing. She tried calling Talana, but got no answer. This worried her, so she started searching the area in the early morning hours of February 22nd, but she couldn't find them. Later in the morning, she decided she'd call the local Hoggard High School because she remembered that the truck driver, Thomas, had mentioned he had a load of fruit to drop off there first thing in the morning. While on the phone with the school, she found out that the driver was there. She asked to speak to him. The phone was passed to a man who was identified to her as the trucker making the delivery to the high school. This man sounded an awful lot like Ron Thomas, and he claimed that his name was indeed Ron, but denied knowing her friend Talana or having been at the Parkview Grill the previous night.
Wanda, being smart and tenacious, and probably one of the best friends a friend could ask for, eventually went to the high school and spoke with someone who showed her the bill of lading, which had the name Ron Thomas written on it. It also had the name of the company he worked for. Miles away, at 10.30 in the morning, on February 22nd, Kenneth Spivey, a minister who lived in Dunn, North Carolina, received a phone call from a man he later learned was Ron Thomas. Thomas said to the minister, I need some help because I've done something terrible. Minister Spivey responded that the Lord could forgive him. After a few more questions, Thomas told the minister that he didn't think the Lord could forgive him because he had beaten a woman. When asked if Thomas had killed her, his eventual response was yes. The minister then told Thomas that he would like to meet with him, but that he was going to bring along a deputy sheriff. Thomas agreed to the meeting. They met at a Robin Hood truck stop off of Interstate 95. Thomas got into the patrol car and proceeded to tell the deputy and the minister that he had beaten a woman, but when he left her, she was conscious. He said that he began to beat her because she started mouthing off and reminded him of his ex-wife. Once he admitted that he had killed her, the deputy asked if he knew her name. In response, Thomas pulled a check out of a shirt pocket and gave it to the deputy. The check was made out to Carolina Builders and was signed by Wanda Whitley. Later, the deputy asked Thomas what the woman had been wearing. Thomas said that her clothes were in the back of the truck. At the officer's request, Thomas got the clothing from the back of the car and handed it over. The deputy dutifully searched the woman's clothing and found a pocketbook with several different types of identification, including a driver's license belonging to Talana Krieger. The deputy called the Wilmington Police Department to share the news with him about what he suspected. He also left Talana's name. Thomas was brought into custody and confessed, telling police where Talana's body could be located. When the police were brought to the area where the victim's body lay, it was described as an area called a trailer drop that had a wooded area adjacent to it. On approach, it was heavily wooded with a lot of trees, briars, and thick bushes. A detective by the name of Dennis Bridging approached the body and noted that Talana was laying face down. Her back was covered in blood and leaves, and she was very, very pale. Nearby, just a few feet away, were indentations in the leaves and pools of blood. One spot was about four feet from the body, and there was another about two feet from the victim's body. The detective noted that there appeared to be some type of internal organ hanging out of her body, and it was laid up over her thigh. When her body was turned over, he noted that the victim had her hands curled up and was gripping pine needles and leaves. When asked for his version of the story about what happened that night, Thomas stated that he went to the bar, drank beer, and shot pool with three women, including Wanda, the owner of the bar. He claimed that all four of them were drunk and that he himself had consumed ten beers, all in an hour's time. The police asked to hear his version of what happened. He told the detectives that he had been in Wilmington at the Parkview Grill that evening, and at the end of the evening, he and the three women had become engaged in an argument about homosexuality. Thomas had realized shortly after he walked into the bar 
that it was a gay establishment and that the women he was talking to were lesbians. The atmosphere began to feel a little heavy after this argument. In an attempt to end the awkwardness, someone suggested going out to eat, and they were informed that there was a place just around the corner. Talana said she was going to ride with Thomas, and when she got in the truck, she climbed into the sleeper portion because Thomas had a TV and tools in the passenger seat and on the floor. For some reason unknown, on the way to the restaurant, they began arguing again. Thomas asked why Talana and the other women were lesbians. I guess her answer wasn't one he approved of. He used the excuse that he needed to pee in order to pull over into the parking lot of a warehouse. After doing so, he got back in the driver's seat. Talana was still in the sleeper part of the truck. Thomas asked her again about why she was a lesbian. He went on to ask her if a man ever satisfied her, and as he did so, he reached over and grabbed her breast. Talana, at 5 feet 2 inches and 140 pounds, got pissed and backhanded Thomas. She wasn't one to be trifled with. Thomas, at 6 feet 1 inch and 265 pounds, took offense and backhanded her right back. She fell backwards further into the sleeper, and then he went after her. She said almost matter-of-factly, You're going to rape me. I've been raped before. And she started to take her clothes off. I don't know what went on inside Thomas's head, but my guess is that he didn't like the implication that he might be a rapist. So what does he do? I'll give you one guess. Let me just warn you that in the next few minutes, things get pretty graphic, and you might want to forward through it, especially if it's triggering in any way. After her statement, Thomas says he lost his temper and punched her a few more times in the head. She was bleeding from her mouth and the side of her head. He forced her to take off the rest of her clothes. He then began kissing her and moved on to biting her breasts. He said he knew he was getting too rough because they began to bleed. He got some waterless hand cleanser that he had stored on the floor of his truck and put it on his hands and began to penetrate her. He reported that his hand felt like it was getting sticky, and when he pulled it out and turned on the light in his truck, he saw there was blood on his hands, and on the victim, and on the bed of his truck sleeper. Talana took this opportunity to jump to the front seat. He heard her say that she needed to pee. He said he then put the truck into gear and started pulling around to some trees. She started to crawl out the door, and Thomas got out of the truck to supposedly help her. By the time he got around to the passenger door, the door was open and Talana had fallen out onto the ground. He grabbed her by her arms and dragged her into the woods on her back and left her laying there. Talana was still conscious because she said to Thomas, leave me alone, let me die. He left her there laying in the cold dark woods and drove to the high school where he was supposed to take his first morning delivery. He arrived at the school at 4.30 in the morning, where he proceeded to clean up the truck and wipe the blood away with a towel. And then, believe it or not, he went to sleep. I guess what he had done was no big deal to him. Why lose sleep over it? Ugh. At 8.15, he was awakened and told he could unload his delivery in one hour. While he was at the school, a woman had called and asked him if he was the truck driver from the bar the previous night. 
We already know he told her that he wasn't, and after unloading, he got into his truck and headed for New Jersey. He was running away, but the entire time he was second-guessing his decisions. Upon arriving in North Carolina, he called a minister. This is where the minister and Deputy McLean would meet him later. He went on to tell the detective that he and his third wife had separated earlier that year and that he had been having financial problems. He had just started this job three weeks prior to the murder. The autopsy revealed multiple bruises and lacerations to Talina's eyes and right cheek. Her lip, right hand, upper left arm, and breast all had cuts, bites, and bruises on them. But worst of all, again, you may want to forward about 30 seconds. The worst part of all was that she was disemboweled. The peritoneal wall between Talina's vagina and rectum was torn open, leaving an opening of approximately four to five inches in diameter. What will turn your stomach is that approximately 20 inches of Talana's small intestine was pulled out from between her legs. Her kidney, which would normally be resting in an area known as the kidney bed, had been pulled downwards and brought towards her vaginal opening. The pathologist who performed the autopsy believed that these injuries were caused by Thomas grabbing her peritoneal wall and pulling hard enough to rip her skin and essentially pull her intestines out. Based on the autopsy, the pathologist testified that the victim bled to death because the blood vessels leading to the kidney and colon had been torn. It was determined that she would have been conscious for 10 to 20 minutes, during which time she would have experienced considerable pain. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Delana didn't have a chance to get away, but she definitely went down fighting. Newspaper reports surrounding the case provided very few details about Krieger's life. It was believed that the reporters felt the conservative community would prejudice themselves against the victim. Meanwhile, Talana's friends from Parkview and her co-workers were having a difficult time finding a church that would give her a funeral because she was a lesbian. At one point, they had a scheduled memorial service, which was canceled at the last minute when the church became aware that Talana was gay. Her funeral was eventually held at the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd, Dr. Reverend Whiteside would officiate. Because of the ridiculous amount of trouble her friends had trying to find a place that would bury Talana, some of her friends would later be involved in the founding of the St. James Metropolitan Community Church. This congregation was open to gays, lesbians, bisexual, transgender, and straight people. In the words of one of its early leaders, we wanted to have a place where we could marry you and bury you. While Talana's friend Heidi Crossley testified in court, she told the jury she was unable to recognize Talana because she was asked to identify the body which had been beaten so badly. Heidi eventually identified Talana only because of a uniquely shaped mole on her face. 
In court, Thomas contended that the first-degree murder charge should be dismissed because the evidence wasn't good enough to allow the jury to say that he had intended to kill Talana with premeditation and deliberation. He argued that he experienced a sudden state of anger and that he sexually assaulted her when he became enraged and aroused by her. The prosecutors argued that the assault began by Thomas reaching over and touching Talana uninvited. Her response, which was slapping the six-foot-plus man, should have been enough to stop his advances, but instead this angered him and he knocked her back into the sleeper. He then climbed in, hitting her in the head a few more times before he began his sexual assault. Then he took time to beat her further, hurting her even more. He continued to beat her even after she was unable to defend herself anymore. Then he carried her body 120 feet into the woods, beaten and slowly bleeding to death. He could have stopped at any point, but he didn't. She was conscious and left alone in the woods. At this point, he could have gone and gotten help, but he didn't. He left her alone in the wilderness to die. In the case notes, I couldn't find anything about his ex-wives, but my guess is that he had a history of domestic abuse. In March of 1991, Thomas was found guilty of all charges, including a first-degree sexual offense and a first-degree murder. I appreciate that Thomas turned himself in for what he had done. I'm sure he knew he'd be caught anyway. It's also good news that he couldn't use the gay panic defense, because first of all, he knew the women were gay, and second, this defense is typically used in same-sex cases. It's outrageous that this defense has been used successfully in the past and can still be used today. It's only been banned in 12 states, the most recent being Virginia. This change in Virginia came about due to the hard work of Danica Rome. One of the cases Danica Rome used in the bill she proposed is the murder of Gwen Arejo. Forgive me if I mispronounced. Sylvia Guerrero said she had never heard the word transgender until her 17-year-old daughter, who was biologically a son named Eddie, was brutally murdered. Gwen was a beautiful 90-pound girl with no chance of survival against the brutality of four drunken men, two of whom had been sexually intimate with her. They beat and strangled her to death at a house party in Newark in 2000, right after they confirmed that she was biologically male. The men claimed they had a gay trans panic, and that's why they did what they did to tiny little Gwen. Gwen's murder played no small part in the ongoing movement against trans and gay violence. Even with all this work by good people to help support the LGBTQ community, this year, 2021, is on track to be one of the deadliest for transgender and gender non-conforming people in the U.S., according to the Human Rights Campaign. They have tracked fatal violence against transgender and non-gender conforming people since 2013. As of June 2021, at least 28 transgender or gender non-conforming people have been killed. Most of these victims were black or Latino women. According to data from Transgender Europe, the U.S. has a higher rate of murder than Australia, Canada, South Africa, France, and India. As I scan headlines from all over the world, it seems there's a long way to go towards social acceptance of the LGBTQ 
community worldwide, but also right next door. Let's get better. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. A huge thank you to Kaviki K, who wrote, Love it. I'm always excited to see a new episode released on the podcast. The stories are unique and ones I haven't heard on other podcasts. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. And for those of you who don't want to write a review, that's okay. You can just say hi. That still helps. Another thing you can do is just share the podcast with a friend. You'll find links to social media in the show description, which is also where you'll find my resources and a little button that will allow you to send some money my way if you would be inclined to do so. Thanks once again for listening, and to all of you Twisted fans out there, I'd like to wish you fair winds and following seas.